Welcome back to another Brazil Babble podcast. With me today is my co-host, Michael Hatch. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well today. I, I, I thought you'd be doing well because, you know, Boston finished out that series with Toronto, and I know you picked that series, and now you have a, I would say, a little bit less stressful series with Miami. Um, see, I don't know. Like, a lot of people think this is the easier series, Um I tend to agree because we don't have the length to match up with the Bucks, but Miami has shooters all over the court, and it's going to be tough to defend. And they grind; they're gonna they're gonna push us to the brink more more than Toronto did. In Toronto, Toronto had me on the edge of my seat, ready to fly down to Orlando a couple times. But it's going to be a good series. So you had Boston. You have Boston going to the finals, I believe, from the last uh, previous previous yes, podcast we've done i've got miami going to the finals so at least both of us still have our finals contenders in this um but we're not going to start out with this series we're going to start out with the series that's going on with a game seven tomorrow night and it is the nuggets and the clippers and first and foremost i need to remind people that the Jokic murray malone era has never gone less than seven games in a series it never has it's it's crazy it's I don't know a different word to describe this series right now. So um, it was 3-1 Clippers, right? And everyone yep, was thinking, well, this is going to be an easy series for the Clippers. This is It's over. And then all of a sudden, it's 3-3, and I, I believe the pressure is on the Clippers now. Oh, 100% is on the Clippers. So I wouldn't be surprised if Denver wins the series now. So I was driving around today run some errands and a thought came into my head if the Clippers lose this series is this the end of the Doc Rivers era in LA and I'll phrase this because it's not just that he failed with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on his team he failed with Chris Paul Blake Griffin uh, Jamal Crawford um, DeAndre Jordan roster which that was supposed to be a super team in the West and that never panned out and now you've got this roster and yes it's only one year but Kawhi's arguably the best player in the league, depending on who you talk to. And Paul George is probably a top 10 player for a lot of people as well. Top 15, probably definitely. And you'd lose a 3-1 series, potentially. Like, So could this be the final year of Doc Rivers? That's a good question. Um, I personally don't see it. Um even if they lose this game. I, I don't think they're going to lose this game. Me personally, I have them winning the finals, and I have since the beginning. But they certainly have scared me a little bit with blowing these big leads with three defensive players of the year who are on first and second team all defensive awards. Like, I didn't see that coming. Um, but I don't think it's a, it'll be the end of Doc Rivers necessarily. Obviously, it's disappointing. Um I just, I just don't see them moving along after one year without um, without getting to the conference finals, just tossing him to the side. I just look at it with the history. Maybe they might. I don't think they necessarily will, but I think the history of him with good rosters as of recently in L.A., it, it, it could be justified. So if they, if they did get rid of him, I would say sure. It, it, it's justified. It's not... A surprise, but I, I just don't see it happening. I know he was the guy they wanted for this super team with two 
all-star players, now two six-men six of the year with Patrick Beverly, who is one of the most disappointing players in the league to me. Um, and also Montrez Harrell. Don't get me started on him. Should he have won the six-man of the year? Absolutely not. The guy cannot score worth his life. Um, I love Montrez Harrell. I love his energy, but literally all the Denver Nuggets are doing when he's in the game is putting Jokic back five feet and letting him drive to the basket, spin, and shoot wildly. It's all oh, it is. Yeah. And it's working. Yeah. So well, why is he even a threat on the floor? He's just energy. He's just like oh, Draymond yeah, Green. That's all he is. He's pure energy. He's pure rebounder and energy. That's all he gives you. But I, I didn't think he was sixth man of the year either. I thought Dennis Schroeder should have won that award personally this year. Um, but I'm a, I'm a Montrose Harrell fan just for his energy that he brings to the court. But that's not going to win you championships. No, it isn't. And Lou Williams, I think, has been even more disappointing this series. He hasn't done really anything um, at all. Like, his, he's averaging under 10 points per game. He hasn't been good in the fourth quarters. He's a liability out there defensively. He's the one that they're targeting in the pick and rolls with Murray and Jokic, um, which I thought smart smartly Doc put um, Kawhi on Jokic and Paul George on Murray. So if they ran that, they could just switch, and they have two great defensive players. But they're really just targeting Lou Williams. And you see that with every team right now. Every team has been targeting the worst defender on the court. I mean, when I was watching the Celtics Raptors, Raptors were targeting Ennis Cantor. They were targeting basically whatever big the Celtics put out there because they didn't want to go at Jalen Brown. They didn't want to go at Marcus Smart. They were going at Kemba. They were going at um, Cantor, like I said. They were going at Grant Williams. And thankfully, Kemba was able to hold his own on some, but every team seems to be... Just, okay, we're going to run a pick and roll when your worst defender's on the court. We're going to run a pick and roll, and we're going to put him on our best offensive player now. It's going to be an automatic two, maybe three, depending on the shot selection. Yeah, that basically is what the NBA is now, is you find the weakest defender, you get them isolated, and you go right at them. Yeah. Um, Every team, and it's it's impossible to have five great defenders on the floor. There's going to be a weak link no matter what. Um, I think we've seen that, as you said, like Kemba, Cantor, um, do you, for the uh, for the the Nuggets, it's either Michael Porter Jr. or Jokic. Um, the Clippers, it's Lou Williams. Miami, I'd say probably Drogic when he's out there or um, Tyler Hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe Robinson. Yeah, Duncan um, Robinson. He hasn't been playing a lot of minutes either. They've kind of pushed back on that. And then for the Lakers, it's it's if the Bigs are in the game against Houston, they were going after the Bigs, obviously, but um, they kind of shrunk down and that helped them a lot mm-hmm. so who do you think wins game seven nuggets clippers i mean i want denver to win just to keep the story going but i think the clippers are going to win even though their backs are against the wall and they got the pressure facing them yeah, and same. i think it's a better matchup for the conference finals if denver wins i i don't even see him pushing seven which I know breaks the norm. I will guarantee seven games if they win this series. (laughs) They will automatically get seven games. Everyone's saying LeBron's going to have a walk in the park to the finals. I don't care if he makes the finals. It's going seven games no matter what. You should put money on that if Denver wins. Like tomorrow, right after the game, put money on that if Denver wins. I think they need to change the team's team's name to like the the Den- the Denver Sevens or something like that because <laughs> it's it's inevitable that they're going seven games they're wiping their players energy out and somehow they get back to seven games every player should have the number seven incorporated in their jersey <laughs> they that just they just go from seven to like 137 exactly 
Yeah, I'm with you, though. I think I'm going to go Clippers. It's a better conference finals, and we have to remember that um, the Toronto Raptors were taken to seven games last year in this same series with the Philadelphia 76ers, and Kawhi hit that ginormous shot. Um, so he's won a game seven before when his back's against the wall as well. Yeah, definitely have experience in this situation. Um, so the next series, we already talked about it a little bit, Miami-Boston. Both of us are on opposite ends of this one. I mean, Miami going to the finals, you have Boston. What is the key for Boston in this series? What do they have to do to win this series? So for me, the key, first key is you got to get Kemba going. Kemba, the past three, two, three games, Toronto figured a way to make him ice cold. and You can't have that keep going throughout the playoffs. Um, you're going to need him to score. Um, but key number two to me has to be Gordon Hayward getting healthy. I mean, there were reports today that he practiced individually, um, didn't partake in any team drills, but he did team workout after and that he looked good and stuff. But they're saying he's still a little bit away from uh, game speed, game time. But I think that's that's a big thing. It'll, it'll add depth to their bench. It'll get a guy like Semi Ojale off the court or – I mean, I personally don't like seeing Grant Williams on the court that much sometimes. I mean, he almost blew the game seven for us, for God's sake. Um, but he also almost saved it. I mean, he got, yeah, he got the tip. But, like, he missed two free throws. And thanks for Jason Tatum crashing from the three-point line and getting to the free throw line and making at least one of them. It put them up three instead of only up two. But that's for uh, Grant Williams. I, I'm just, I like the way he plays. He plays with heart. He doesn't have much offense. He He's kind of slow on defense. I think five, six years ago, he's a perfect fit for the NBA. Right now, I just think he's a tad slow for it. So I think if you can get a guy like Gordon Hayward, it add, I don't even want him in the starting lineup. I would keep Smart in the starting lineup right now. That's the thing. I think you're going to need to have Gordon on a minute restriction. I think what better way than, okay, Tatum needs a rest. We're going to bring Gordon Hayward off the bench, and he's going to play for a couple minutes, and then we'll put Tatum back in and we'll take Brown out or something. I I like what I've seen from Smart in the lineup. So I think Kemba offensively needs to get going. That's crucial number one because without him going, I just don't see them advancing. And I think you need to get Gordon Hayward healthy just to add depth to that bench. Yeah, I'm with you on the point that Marcus Smart has to stay in the starting lineup. I think they don't win the Toronto series without the minutes that he played. Um, and I'm also with you on Kemba Walker has to be better. I think the only reason they won Toronto that Toronto series with him playing so poorly was because everybody on the other team played so poorly. Um, Siakam, <laughs> Lowry, Van Fleet wasn't great. They literally just matched Kemba and played terrible basketball. Yeah, it, it was... That series was a complete grind. It was a defensive series, and I mean, like you said, it, it kind of transitioned into making some of the stars just look absolutely horrible. And I, I personally haven't seen so many bricks like that in a series since we were back in intramurals, honestly. Like, <laughs> like they were missing left and right, and that just brings me back to shades of us playing basketball. Um, kind of. It made me think that we might have a chance. It's true. We might have. And Pascal Siakam, like, this dude's supposed to be the, the heir apparent to Kawhi Leonard leaving. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I uh, Siakam got way too much hype, in my opinion. He's still, he still needs to develop. His shot isn't there in my mind. Um, you call him erratic. I kind of say he just doesn't know what he, he's doing. So I guess that's erratic. I think 
the one thing he does have going for him is he kind of has like that Giannis spin move from I'm going to take one uh, step inside the paint, then I'm going to spin, and I'm going to be right at the hoop, and you're going to have a tough time defending it. But I'm not a fan of him. I personally, OG Ananobi is like high on my list for players on the Raptors that I actually like. Like maybe number two, maybe number three. I'm a big Ananobi fan as well. I'm also a big Van Fleet fan. Um, I don't know if Van Fleet will resign there. Um, I think he could go elsewhere, and I think you could see Toronto almost having to rebuild a little bit just around Lowry Siakam. Um, would they have been in that series without a few of Van Fleet's big shots? I don't think so, because um, Lowry sure didn't make really anything other than that one game five, I want to say, maybe game six to keep a minute. Um, game six when yeah. he was swimming on the floor. Yep. Um, but Van Fleet was really the guy late in the games who was making shots. That's about the only player. And then obviously Ananobi's prayer at the end of game three. Um, but really that series was just so poorly played offensively that it was tough to watch for me as a fan. I was like, man, these guys just stink. I think it was so... I The commentators were saying a lot of this, and I don't know if it's just my hometown bias that wants to agree with them, but when I was watching that game, Toronto was playing great defense, and I'm not going to say that they weren't because they were. I mean, if you're able to shut down Kemba, like you, you have to be doing something right. But it's like a high school I defense too. Yeah, I mean a box and one. When was the last time you saw that actually work in the NBA? I I don't know. Not and either. what I was going to say though is, I felt like when the Celtics were missing, there were a lot of good looks though that they were missing, like clear clear line on the basket, sometimes wide open. When Toronto was missing, I felt like they were missing some heavily contested shots, and they weren't getting a lot of good looks. Like to me, the Celtics' defense stepped up big in that series. I'd agree with you, and I, I'd I'd say also that when you look at the two different teams' offensive skill set, Boston has a lot of better isolation players that can get shots off too, rather than Kyle Lowry, Van Fleet, who's five foot four, Siakam, who hits the B button and spins every four seconds without knowing it. Um, they don't have a guy that creates like that that shot like Kawhi did last year. They don't have that. Whereas I'd say Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, they can all get to that shot. Um, which in a defensive series where the defense is all over you, you kind of have to have that player. They even made Marcus Smart look like he could create that shot at some points in some games. Man, there's that one point he hit like five threes in a row in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that game kind of scared me, to be honest. That never will happen again. <laughs> no. I thought it wasn't going to get past three. So the fact that he hit two more, big surprise to me. It shocks me when he hits two in a row. <laughs> Honestly, like like from where he was like three or four years ago shooting the ball to now is just so much better. Yeah, he's improved a lot. But yeah, that was a good series, Toronto-Boston. Um, Miami-Boston should be the same way. Like I said, I'm, a, I'm in favor of Miami. Um, I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan and always have been going back to his uh, days with the Bulls. Um I think he's got a good supporting cast around him. It's not necessarily a championship caliber cast, um, but I think they can at least make it in the East, probably lose to whoever they're facing. Uh, we'll move on now to the Lakers. What did the Lakers do right in that Houston series? I think the best thing that they did right is that they just adjusted. Um, they figured out how to adjust to the smaller lineup. I mean, it, it helps when Westbrook can't hit a shot for his life. Um, but I feel like... LA just really adjusted well. You saw, you saw Rondo make a difference when, he, I mean, he was sinking buckets. 
you saw playoff Rondo pop out. And LeBron and Davis, they, they're just two of the best players in the league, and it's tough to defend them. And you know that just having two of those guys on the same team, it's going to be tough to beat in general. Yeah, I'd agree with you. The biggest adjustment was that they just made adjustments from going away from um, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, who really didn't see any minutes until it was a blowout. Um, and they basically ran off four straight. They went small. They started Morris. I'm not sure which one's on the team. Markeith or Markeith. Marcus? Markeith, okay. I know they're both in L.A., but not the same team. So Markeith, um, he played big minutes. Obviously, LeBron's the best player on any team possible. Davis took advantage of P.J. Tucker down in the block once he had to. Um, all, all due respect to P.J. Tucker. He's a guy I'd want on my team every single time. Um, but he just he's six foot seven and can't guard Davis on the block. Um, but, yeah, I'd agree with you. Biggest adjustment is that Frank Vogel simply just changed the lineup up. Rondo coming back was a huge, huge, huge piece. Even if he's not scoring the ball, he he's a facilitator. He's a leader. He knows what's happening. He got in Westbrook's head multiple times, even so to the fact that his brother got thrown out of the game for talking to Westbrook himself, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> That's the biggest Rondo thing like I could have ever heard. Like Rondo's brother is the one chirping, and he gets thrown out. I was like, wow. <laughs> Apple doesn't far, far, uh, fall far from the tree when I heard that. Oh, no, that was, that was fantastic. At first, when I was watching it, I'm like, is Westbrook really arguing like with one of the players' wives? And then it comes out after the game, and it's Rondo's brother calling him trash. Oh, and he did great. the Dame Lillard wave, too. <laughs> like, you'll never see that again when there's no fans. Still, a fan gets thrown out. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Rondo's brother making history. Um, but, yeah, I'd agree with that on L.A. But now, Houston's side of things... Mike D'Antoni's obviously stated he's not coming back to the team. Harden, after their loss, said that they're only one piece away from competing for a championship. What, first of all, what is that one piece for Houston, do you think? And how is this team going to be different without D'Antoni? See, that's the thing. He says they're one piece away. I feel like he said that, though, the past three years, that they're one piece away. Like, whether it was with Chris, Chris Paul the past couple of years, like, I feel like that's been the story in Houston for years now. They're one piece away. They're one piece away. So why haven't they established what that one piece is? I, I don't know. They say they're one piece. I can't even tell you what that one piece is. Maybe maybe it's a guy like Draymond Green where he's not necessarily a big, but, I mean, he plays more of a big than P.J. Tucker does, but, like, maybe someone that can play a little bit more offense. I don't know. Like a... It certainly wasn't like Kelly Capella. Or... Capella they got rid of because he couldn't fit the play they wanted. Um, Draymond, Green, so Draymond like, Green would have been a lot better against Davis, that's for sure. And the thing is, like, okay, so Clint Capella didn't fit the Mike D'Antoni system. Well, D'Antoni's not coming back. What if Clint Capella would have fit X, Y, and Z system? Now you got to go get a center? Like... It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think, I I think to me they put everything everything they had, all the eggs in one basket this year for D'Antoni, knowing it was probably his last year, because there were reports that he wasn't coming back earlier in the year as well. Um, right. So they kind of just said, you know what, let's get rid of Capella's money as well, throw him to Atlanta, do what D'Antoni wants, see what happens out of it. If it doesn't work, well, it's okay because he's not coming back. Um and now you have Harden, you have Westbrook, who I don't even know what Westbrook is anymore. I don't know if he just wasn't healthy or his shooting ability and driving ability is just gone. Um, not sure on that either. Um, 
But if you have a new coach, and I, I threw this name out to you, that it would be hilarious if Billy Donovan went to Houston. Um, but, like, would the team that they have there now work with Billy Donovan? Um, maybe. Because I, I know, guess was the best. Because he, he's used to running Steven Adams, obviously, a big guy. And he made that team, I believe it was the most efficient fourth quarter team in the NBA in OKC with a big on the floor. So do they go out, grab a big, and then they have similar numbers with Westbrook, Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Eric Gordon? Yeah, I mean, I think, so I guess the one good thing, too, is if Billy Donovan does sign there, he knows Westbrook, too. So, like, he can kind of control Westbrook in a way, if you want to say that, I guess. Right. Um, you know, I heard the other day that Chauncey Billups is interested in the Houston job. And that kind of intrigued me personally. I think I think Billups was great during his time in the league as a player, and I think he could be that influencer. Maybe is the best way to put it for Westbrook. Not saying he's going to shoot like Chauncey. I'm not saying anything like that, but I think he could be someone that kind of molds Westbrook if Westbrook's willing to. I don't know if Westbrook would even be willing to, but I just don't know what they're looking to do. Like, I just I just pulled up, too. What are their draft picks? I'm reading that the Rockets gave away their first and second round picks this year. They don't have them. So you'll basically see the same roster unless they decide to try and move money with, like, Gordon or Westbrook and then trade pieces. Right, exactly. So the only way they're bringing in a new roster is if they trade and sign free agents. So... That's the thing. I don't understand what they're trying to do. I don't know what they're looking to get. So to me, James Harden's clearly the focal point. It's not Westbrook anymore. I think we've seen that. Um, but you go from a D'Antoni system that is completely isolation, spread the floor for a kick out, right? Um, whereas look at the teams that have been successful in the West with a guy like James Harden who can shoot lights out when he wants to. And I, I look at the team that was like Golden State with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. Um, and I'm not saying James Harden's the same player as them, but he has that shooting ability. And why don't you get a guy who, a coach this is, that will, that will run a system that allows James Harden to be open that's not off isolation basketball. So you see, you see Steph Curry, you see Klay Thompson being run off screens, working harder to get open shots. Why can't James Harden do that? Why, is that just the system that he's in now? I think it is. I think he can be that player if he wants to be running off picks, running off screens, getting open looks. And I think they'd be a lot more successful that way. So I agree with you, but I also think – I heard Reggie Miller talking about this covering one of the games. I forget which game I was watching, but he was like, if you're going to be running around the court like that and coming off those screens, you got to be the most fit player on your roster. And that's where I question James Harden. Can he be the most fit player? Yes, you can argue, well, he's draining the 24-second shot clock, dribbling the ball, isolation. But, like, that's different. Like, he's setting the pace of the offense when he's doing that. Can he physically withstand running around the court in circles, basically, just trying to get open? I don't know if he can. I, I mean, he might be able to. But that's my only issue I see with that. Now, can you mix that into your offense? A hundred percent. Like, I agree. Like, if you're trying to get him open, then why aren't you doing that more often? I don't know. Um, is that something he even wants to 
wants to do. I mean, I think he's known in the league as one of the best isolation players in the league, if not the best. And I think he knows that too. So he might look at it as well. Why are you taking away the best asset of my game? If you do this, um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. I think it would be a great fit for him, like you said. It would create open shots. It would make him open more often than not and not have to work around a defender. But And to me, as, as someone who, who played in high school only, obviously, um, and I wasn't I wasn't a scoring guard. Intramural is true. That's, that's the highest level of basketball. But um, I wasn't like necessarily a scoring guard. They would run plays for me because I played the three once in a while to get open shots like that and – and to be quite honest, like the best thing that I did on that team was I was in, I was the most in shape. Um, I was the guy who stayed out there the most minutes. I played the most minutes. I wasn't going to be scoring every time, but I played defense. I ran the plays. Um, and maybe instead of a James Harden doing that, you look at a guy like Eric Gordon, who is, who is in good shape, who, who runs around a lot already. And with the pace that D'Antoni played, obviously that team is in pretty good shape. Maybe you do that with a guy like Eric Gordon, because he can still shoot just like James Harden. And that's the guy, if you were going to tell me that's, um, if you were going to take that for any team, that's the guy I would say should do it for Houston. Yeah, I just think you can do it. It, it doesn't have to be just one person. I just think a system that you have Westbrook, not Westbrook, but Harden and Eric Gordon both doing that. You see Clay and Curry doing it, and the the way they get open is they're both doing it. I mean, they can't key in on one of them doing it. Um, they're obviously going to double Harden more than Gordon, so Gordon will have better looks. Um, but I think if you do it with both of them and Harden buys into that, I think you'll just create so many more open looks, and you'll just see Harden not shooting these two of 11s from three, one of eights from three. You'll just get better looks, and he'll enjoy that. My question is, so still on this theory, is we see it with Golden State, like you said. The biggest thing with Golden State is they're very selfless, though. Russell Westbrook's still on the team. What was his biggest critique when Kevin Durant left? He's one of the most selfish players in the league. That was always the knock on him, supposedly. So, if Harden's running around in circles coming off screens, if Gordon's running around the court running off screens, that means the ball's probably in Westbrook's hand. Will he be willing to be selfless, I guess is the one I'm trying to say, to make it work? I mean, you'd hope he would if it's for the best of the team, but... For the first 14 seconds of the shot clock, I think a good coach, the right coach, could make Westbrook perform in that way and say, if, if that's not there, sure, be yourself the last 10 seconds, push everyone into the basket. That's what you're doing. You just run into them to the basket. Sure, go ahead and do that. But for, for the first 14 seconds on the shot clock, why don't we run a play? Yeah. I mean, I don't get – I mean, you see a lot of teams run plays now, too. It's not like you're just isolation – that's what Houston is, like we've been saying, and it just seems like they're not in the current era of basketball, almost. Which sounds so weird. I don't know. Like they, I think they're even trying to push it to like the next era. They want to be the next era, right? Like I texted you when I think Houston won game game one. I think that's immediately when I shot the text. I said, if Houston can go on a run, you might be seeing a new era of basketball of six, eight, and under. Yeah, and I think Draymond said that too after game one. Yeah, he did too. And to me, it's true. Like, I think that's the next wave of basketball because your worst three-point shooter is always your big man usually. I mean, not always, but most most of the time. Unless you're Denver. So, unless you're Denver, right. So, 
or if you have Baines on your team. Like, Baines is just the best, too. But yeah, Splash City. <laughs> um, so, why wouldn't you just have a roster that fits three-point shooters all over the place? And, yeah, you might be a little short, but maybe the whole league's going to go that way. I mean, I look at the NFL, and I think of the NFL in terms of linebackers. Linebackers used to be these massive guys. And now the, in the NFL – Everyone's throwing the ball, so you can't have your massive linebackers anymore because they need to stay with that small, mm-hmm. small running back that's going to outrun them in two seconds. You see, like so safeties all... coming down and playing it. Well, I was going to say you see safeties coming down, or you just yeah, you have safeties coming down playing that are now linebackers, yep. or you're, they're just so much smaller than what they used to be. And I think you're going to see the same thing in the NBA, where you're going to have transitions like that eventually. Yeah, I mean. I think, if anything, this proves that you can still win with a big, being Davis. Um, but it has to be an extremely talented big because they, they did get run off the floor in game one. Uh, but then Vogel did make adjustments to be smaller, and they, they won that series pretty easily. Um, but moving on from that, we'll go to the last topic here on the NBA podcast here. And that is Steve Nash signing with the Brooklyn Nets. What was your first in, initial reaction to hearing that? Um. I was shocked. Um, this was not a... I mean, the week before, the Nets PR was pumping out that they were trying to get Greg Popovich to be their head coach. Like, literally a week before. So, when I heard Steve Nash got hired, I was very surprised by it. I mean, my first initial resp- reaction was, well, this must be somebody Kevin Durant and Kyrie want to play for. Right. Because I don't think the Nets are making a hiring that doesn't satisfy their two-star players that haven't really even played for them yet. They're trying to appease to their stars. If their stars say, hey, we're, we want a third player on this team, you know he's going to be calling other teams being like, hey, I'll give you so, so, and so, so I can pair him with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And that's just the way this NBA is. They're, they're not going to make a hiring of a coach for somebody that they don't want to play for. And Steve Nash has a history with the GM, and I get that. And but he does he have also a history a, with Durant, and that's what I was just going to say too. He has a history with Durant too, so I'm sure Durant maybe made a recommendation, or maybe he didn't. But when the Celtics tried to get Kevin Durant here, they had an interview with him, in which they brought players from the Celtics. They also brought Tom Brady, like they were trying to bring Boston people into the. The interview to be like, hey, you can be part of this great culture, which Tom Brady's not even part of that now, so it's kind of funny. But hypocrite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so I'm sure they were like, okay, we're gonna interview your first round. If we like what you do, then we'll call you again. We'll set up another one. We'll bring in Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And I'm sure that happened. And I'm sure they liked him, and that's why he's the head coach. Does he have any coaching experience? No, but how often do new head coaches have coaching experience besides just college? I think it's very rare. So I was just shocked. Yeah, I think I was in the same boat because you really hadn't heard Steve Nash's name any anywhere in basketball for the last couple of years. Like, was he thinking about coaching? I, I didn't know that. Was he thinking about coming back and helping players? I didn't know that. Um, so that's, that's the real initial reaction I had was, wow, that's cool. I mean, couple of MVPs. Um, the guy was a winner. I mean, he never technically won the championship, but the guy was always successful. He was one of the best floor generals, probably a top five point guard in NBA history. And now you have him working with Kyrie Irving, who 
we know has a track record, um, but he's also a very talented player. And obviously Kevin Durant, we know what he's doing. Um, he'll make Brooklyn a contender immediately if he's healthy. Um, and that's even without Kevin or Kyrie Irving, to my, in my mind. Um, Kyrie doesn't have to play a single game, and that team's going to be a contender. Um, plus, you have a guy, you said that third star, Karis LeVert, is a guy that Kevin Durant thoroughly enjoys um, just watching play. And I think Karis LeVert will be that third star next to Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, I like Karis LeVert. I think he could easily be a third star. Now, are you telling me that he's better than, say, C.J. McCollum? Probably not, but he's why cheaper. give up stuff? Exactly. He's cheaper, and why give up assets? Because you, you wouldn't just be able to go Levert for C.J. McCollum. You would have to give up probably a draft pick and maybe another player. Right. So why go through all that extra process just to bring in someone that might be slightly better at best? I like Levert. Um and the best story that I think came out of this was that I texted you about this was Steve Nash was trying to bring Dirk along with him into his coaching staff. And I would have loved to see coach Dirk on the, on the sidelines, but Dirk said he wasn't ready to come back to the game, which I completely understand. But I think that would have been Dirk in like post game interviews. If he ever got interviewed or halftime interviews, since they always talk to the assistant coach after halftime, I think that would have been golden. Man, like we, we already say how talented Kevin Durant is, but Kevin Durant really based his like fadeaway one legger off of Dirk Nowitzki. Imagine him working with Dirk Nowitzki like every single day. Oh, it would be crazy. Like I think you'd see something new from Kevin Durant just based off working with Dirk. And my only concern is with the Nets is they know better than I do right now. But what version of Kevin Durant are you getting? I mean, he's basically seven feet tall. I know we'd probably list him at 6'8 on NBA.com or basketball reference, but he's seven feet. Like, there's pictures of him next to DeMarcus Cousins where he's clearly two inches taller than DeMarcus Cousins. Um, so, tearing your Achilles isn't going to be an easy process coming back from that. So, is he still the same player? I hope he is because he's one of my favorite players to watch when he's healthy. I think he's probably one of the best scorers the game has ever seen. But... That's just my worry for him and for the team is because I agree with you. I think he's more crucial than Kyrie is to this roster. Hundred um, percent. Like I said, Kyrie could play zero games, and I think a Kevin Durant, a healthy Kevin Durant-led team, will make it to the Eastern Conference Finals at the least. I don't know. The East is kind of getting loaded right now. Is it though? <laughs> I mean. Philly, I think Philly's not anything at all. And Philly's they, they a wild blow it Philly, up. Philly depends on their coach. I think you give it a year with a coach, and if it still doesn't work, a new coach, then you blow it up. But, I mean, Miami's going to be a contender for a while. Bucks are saying they're willing to go over the luxury tax just to give Giannis a championship roster. So Celtics that, that'll are, be a new team, so they'll have some chemistry stuff. Right. Celtics will... They'll still keep have their young core and keep growing, hopefully. Toronto, I mean, Toronto, like you said, is Van probably going to have to leaving, take a step I think, back. I think Van Fleet will leave, and then they'll take a step back. I agree. So I, I, think, I think it it comes down to maybe four teams, if that. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, and then Toronto. And that's and, basically what the West is every year, four teams. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I just think Kevin Durant immediately as healthy establishes establishes himself as the best player in the East. Oh, I 100% agree. He's going to be the best player in the East if he's healthy. 
And that's why I think if you're a Celtics team, you need to win now because this is going to be your easiest path to winning a ring over the next couple of years because once Durant's healthy, it's going to get a lot tougher. Definitely. But. Yeah, I'd agree. I would agree. Um, I think that'll do it for the uh, NBA side of this podcast. We're going to split this one into two. We're going to go NFL week one um, and just NFL in general for the second half of today's. Um, So if you want to listen to the NFL one, click back here momentarily as you'll see it up um, right after this one. All right.